Hello, my name is Kiana W. Mitchell, and I am a saner, songwriter, podcaster, relationship coach, and rehabilitation counselor. I'm also a Christian who for years grew up in a church that taught me to fear God instead of love God. For years, I felt betrayed by God and felt like God didn't love me because I wasn't perfect and because I didn't do the right thing all of the time. For years, I felt like I was destined to go to hell because there was no way I could keep all of God's laws and there was no way I could win God's approval. It wasn't until I began to read and study the Bible on my own that I realized that, yes, there is nothing I could ever do to be perfect. I will never be able to win God's approval. But the great thing about it is that I didn't have to because God loves me the way I am and God is here to help me through any and everything that I go through. It wasn't until I realized that God was there for me and that what I had been taught about God my whole life was a lie that I began to understand who God really was. It wasn't until I began to lose my religion and focus on God that I understood who God was and his amazing love for me and how much he loved me. Each one of us have a story to tell about how we found God. Each one of us have taken a different journey and a different path to find God. So join me as we go on a journey through interviews and music to discover how people find God. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Finding God. I am your host, Kiana W. Mitchell. Today on the podcast, we have an amazing guest. His name is Rob Decker. Rob is a husband, father, personal fitness trainer, health coach, CCAR recovery coach, best-selling author, and speaker. Rob does all of these things because he wants to share his story of a failed suicide attempt that led to him having a relationship with God. He suffered many years of sadness and anger and confusion and he fed that with drugs, alcohol, and bad relationships. With the help of God, he was able to turn his story into one of forgiveness, understanding, and love. His desire is to encourage, inspire, and give hope to those who are in familiar situations and have familiar circumstances. Now, Rob has an amazing story to tell, and without further ado, here is the story of Rob. Hello, Rob. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for being on Finding God. We are so happy to have you. I am so excited to hear your story. I've read a lot about what you've been through and what you're doing on your website, but I want everyone to hear it from you. But before we get to that, we're going to start off with my usual question I ask every single guest on the show. And that question is, what was your childhood like? Ooh, yeah. Um, it was a rough childhood. It was a very, very rough childhood. Um, I was raised in a house of a lot of domestic violence and trauma, um, you know, physical violence, drugs and alcohol. Um, at a very young age, I found out that my dad wasn't my real dad. Um, I came home in kindergarten at the end of kindergarten, I had a, a diploma that had my name on it, which had his last name on it. And he pulled me aside and told me that he wasn't my real dad and my sister wasn't my full-blooded sister. And um, I think that kind of started that whole separation for me, the, the whole spirit of rejection for me. And um, over the years, you know, I just watched the interactions between my mom and my dad. And then how my sister got treated a little bit different than I did. Um, eventually, you know, when I was in high school, I got introduced to alcohol, probably at like 14 or 15 years old. And I remember, you know, the first time I really got drunk and waking up and I felt like trash the next day. But I think the thing I liked about drinking was I didn't have to think about all the chaos that was going on in my house. Because at this point, I was a freshman in high school, and I just saw way too much between my mom and my dad. There was nothing healthy about their relationship. Um, but the alcohol eventually led to marijuana. Marijuana led to the acid and the shrooms. 
Um, and then eventually cocaine, which is the one that really got me. And so uh, I never graduated high school. I ended up meeting my biological father in, in, um, in high school after my mom and dad separated. Yeah. Um, but when I met him, he was using drugs himself. I walked in after school one day and he was using methamphetamine. Um, the mom, yeah, I walked into my mom, I walked into my mom's room and here I was excited all day long to meet this guy that could look like me, talk like me, act like me. And uh, here he was at, sitting at the edge of the bed, smoking a glass pipe. So I know that kind of touched on my childhood and my youthhood, <laughs> um, yeah. but I can easily get carried away in all this stuff. So, <laughs> Well, let me ask you, when you were going through all that and when you were a child, did you have any knowledge of God? Did you guys go to church or was it just like an Easter Christmas kind of thing? Oh, yeah. I mean, we naturally, we celebrated the holidays. My, I was born Catholic, right? you know, I was baptized Catholic. And, you know, we had more of a fear of God rather mm-hmm. than a relationship with God. But I will say this, that I remember when I found out that my dad wasn't my real dad and walking away from that conversation. And I remember this clear as day. I remember thinking to myself, it's okay because God is my father. And so I'm going to be all right. Yeah. yeah. And I remember that. You know, um, I don't know where I got that. I, even, you know, maybe my mom had said something. I don't know. But that was the the sense that came over me. Um, but as far as pursuing God, you know, that was not something that we did. You know, God was just like, don't use God's name in vain. Yeah. And, you know, watch out because, you know, you know, watch what you do because of God. And, you know, it was more of this fear tactic than mm-hmm. a relationship. So that was really my association with God as a kid. Yeah, I've had the same association myself because it is kind of terrifying when you're a kid and you're thinking about somebody who see every little thing that you do and you're yeah. like, oh, I need to try to do the right thing. And I totally get it because that's how it was for me as well. Now, you mentioned and you touched on a little bit of your adolescence. And mm-hmm. I guess my question is, how much did God play into your life? What role did he have in your adolescence? And I know during my adolescence, it was sporadic. Like he was there. I knew about him. but I wasn't trying to get close to him or find him during that time because, you know, you're always having fun and enjoying life. So what was it like for you? Um, I guess it would be similar to what you went through. You know, again, there was never this um, attempt at having a relationship or spending time or praying or meditating or nothing of the sorts. Um, That was just not part. I mean, I knew it existed. That, That was probably the extent of all of it. But you know, hindsight 2020, looking back now, like I can see how he played a huge role in my life with a lot of events. You know, I think a lot of times we get stuck in the bad things that had happened to us. Mm-hmm. But if I reflect on all the things that could have happened that didn't happen, um, you know, that's where I see his grace. So, I mean, I, I can't appreciate him in my adolescence like I do now. Right. right. And I can kind of look back and be like, oh, he was right there. Oh, you know, so. Yeah. That is amazing. Because it is funny when you like looking back, you can see how God was working things out. Because looking back on all the ridiculous things I did, trying to drive my car at 100 miles an hour, just <laughs> yeah. for the fun of doing it. But, you know, I didn't have an accident. I didn't get pulled over. Nothing happened to me. And that's all because of God, because. It's not logical that you can drive recklessly for so long trying to do something stupid like going 100 miles an hour and you don't have an accident. But God was definitely there. So I understand how looking back, you're like, oh, yeah, God was right there. He was helping me out. I didn't see him. But, yeah, he <laughs> it's was a deep, It's a deep understanding of his grace. I mean, I, I would say that yeah. with the amount of drugs that I did and, you know, the potential of harm to myself possibility of dying and, and the reality is was my drug and alcohol abuse was definitely a slow suicide you know um there was just parts of me that that I didn't want living inside of me and so I tried to drown them out and kill them and um I was doing that with the drugs and the alcohol and, and now that I look back on how much I was actually putting in my system it's only by his grace that I even I lived because yeah. I did some serious consumption <laughs> So how did you eventually get off of drugs and alcohol? Like, what was the progression to that? Well, yeah, it was definitely a progression, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the drugs and the alcohol. So 
so ultimately what happened was, you know, my, all my twenties, um, it was a pretty much a big blur, right? I was, um, high and, and drunk all the time and I was in and out of relationships and I would have several relationships at one time. Um, you know, just cause I was an insecure guy, you know, I needed that validation. I needed the excitement of the chase of being in relationships and, you know, just knowing that more than one girl liked me. And I eventually met one young lady who she was kind of my match in all this kind of stuff. And, and um, we got into a conversation one night and, and that conversation led into um, an argument that led me downstairs um, in her loft. And I woke up to a banging at the door and I asked her, you know, why they were there, why the police were there, because it was the police. And she looked at me and she said, I called them and I told them that you raped me and that you tried to kill me. And in that moment, the amount of fear and confusion and betrayal and, and truth is, is that, you know, all my life growing up, you know, I was told that I was going to be dead or in prison by the time I was 30. This event took place one week after my 29th birthday so it was kind of like prophecy coming to pass and in that moment it just seemed like the perfect storm of events for me to commit the inevitable I always struggled with depression I struggled with thoughts of suicide Um, I was a cutter when I was young and in that moment I was just like this is it this is where life is over for me so I ran headfirst out of a closed third-story loft window with the intention of breaking my neck and killing myself. And my foot clipped an awning, changed my fall, and I severed my spine, shattered my arms, and collapsed my lung and uh, survived it. it. Not only survived it, it never knocked me out. Um, I, I remember waking up on the ground and uh, just gasping for air. And looking up at that broken window, asking God why he would let me live. I didn't understand. After everything I've been through in this life, why he'd let me live. Um, Went to the hospital, uh, went under the knife for about 10 hours, and they pieced me all back together. So they ended up putting hardware in my spine and both my arms. I had a back brace on, cast. I, You know, I was just pieced back together. And the the police showed up. And... um, arrested me for rape and attempted murder wow. and uh threw shackles on me they they threw uh handcuffs on me and apparently I was a flight risk and the reality yeah. was is that um I couldn't move I was I, gonna ask about that like how are you gonna flee when you're in a hospital and you just got a surgery for like 10 hours yeah yeah well you know it's just kind of it's like it was an insult to injury really mm-hmm. what it was but you know while I was in in the hospital I um I remember being shackled to the bed and one of the police, he was giving me, so I was on 24-hour surveillance and one of the police was giving me a really hard time and telling me that I was going to go to prison and he was going to watch me rot and, you know, the charges against me were pretty rough and I just, and I broke down crying and I was like, you know, I've made a lot of bad decisions in my life, but that's just not one of them. You know, if anything, I cared about the girl and the reality was, you know, we had a, the young lady and I had a really troubled relationship and she was escorting at the time. And what I was trying to do was get her out of that lifestyle because I knew how dangerous it was. And, and the reality was, is in that conversation, before I jumped out of that window, you know, we were supposed to get intimate and that's where the, everything went south. Um, she had just gotten raped and beaten, um, ridiculed in her previous, um, engagement with the guy that she was with um the guy that had hired her for her services and she was sending me pictures and all all sorts of stuff and she was sharing with me and so you know I was really overwhelmed with all those thoughts of her being raped and beaten and all this kind of stuff and you know for her to turn it on me and make it sound like I was the one that did that I mean that was completely um devastating you know um but anyways, he was, uh, he was giving me a really hard time there in the hospital. And, you know, I expressed to him that, you know, I, I made some mistakes in this life, but that wasn't one of those mistakes. And as I was crying, a nurse comes in because I just had these extensive surgeries. My, my 
the blood didn't take, the transfusions were failing on me. And um, she told me that I had to calm down. I couldn't get my blood pressure up. And as she turned around and left the room, the young lady showed up in a disguise with her sister and a folder in her hand. And the cop looks up and his whole demeanor just changes. And he goes, is that who I think that is? And I said, yeah, it is. And he goes, well, this doesn't make sense. And uh, so he escorted her out and, you know, he came back in the room and I think it was later on that night or the next night I was laying in bed and I was talking to God and I was just like, well, what are we going to do? You know, here I am just broken to pieces. Like, what am I going to do? I'm facing rape and murder charges. Uh, I have no idea what's going to happen to my life. And all of a sudden um, everything just kind of got dim. Everything got quiet. The, ba- the pain subsided for a moment and I just had this heavy peace that came over me from head to toe and, and I heard the charges will be dropped, the bills will be paid and you will walk again. Um, and I woke up and everything came back, the, the lights, the noises, the, the traffic, the pain, everything came back. Well, the police officer on duty at that point comes up to me and he's just like, Hey, Mr. Decker, I just want to let you know they're going to drop the charges. Oh, awesome. That's so amazing. Yeah. Um, what made them do that? Um, I don't know. You know, I, I, the reality is there was no evidence. Well, <laughs> yeah. well there, there was, but there wasn't right. So she mm-hmm. had been previously engaged in that behavior. And so there was evidence that she was attacked and and taken advantage of and she was raped you know um but for whatever reason they dropped the charges i don't know if she dropped them or they dropped them or there wasn't who knows Uh, at a later date you know as i was going to court for some stuff like um because i was i was actually on the run at that point when all this took place so after i broke my back i had to now my past catches up to me i have to go to court dates right um, they tried to hit me with the rape charges again. And um, I remember telling one of the detectives what she had been doing as a job. This yeah. is what she was doing. And his comment to me was, well, she never told us that. She must have been pretty embarrassed about that. And to me, it was just like, well, you know, I felt bad for her having to go that route in the first place. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you're talking about another human's life and all the damage that had just taken place like to kind of disregard me and um, be like, like shake it off. Like it was no big deal. Like those are pretty heavy charges. Those are pretty heavy accusations. And so, yeah, I mean, there was evidence of it, but you know, the police ended up at that time dropping it later to try to pursue it, but again, had to drop it again because there just wasn't any evidence in any of that. And so, um, but you know, the next few years, you know, I, I, it was about four years. I was still, you know, I was, I knew I was here for a reason and, you know, I had to get out of the hospital and and start moving again and working out. And, but now I'm on all these pain medications. So you're taking a guy that was, you know, self-medicating through drugs and alcohol. And now he's given Dilaudid and Oxycontin and Vicodin and Percocet, right? Like, so you're just feeding that, that need for me to medicate. Um, but I tried, like, I knew I was here for a reason. God had me for a reason. He spoke to me in that hospital. Um, and there was a purpose to all this. So, you know, I, I started working out again. I started working out again. But for that very first four years, I was living this somewhat healthy lifestyle, healthier. I was walking again. I was working out. Awesome. I, was, I was getting in great shape. But I was struggling with the alcohol because I was using it as a mechanism to kind of numb some stuff that was going on in my head that I didn't want to address or I couldn't, I didn't know how to address. Um, and then I met my wife to be, um, at my first, first job after breaking my back, she was a sales rep and I was a, um, personal trainer. I felt that I needed to be a personal trainer so that I could spend one-on-one time with people and try to pull them out of their rut. You know, I, I believe that's what God had called me to do. Um, and her and I struggled with my drinking for the first nine months of our relationship. But then, you know, like a knucklehead, you know, I tested God and, you know, I, I got behind the wheel of a car and ended up crashing my girlfriend's car and running away from the scene of the crime and ended up under a house and pleading with God. Um, and I was telling God, I was like, you know, 
you bailed me out. I went from a guy who was never supposed to walk again, because that's what the doctors were telling me, never going to walk again. Uh, you'll always be li living off a disability and you'll be on pain medication for the rest of your life. So I was pretty much off of all my pain med medication. I wasn't living off a disability. I was working full time. Yeah. Like Annie met, I um, I was introduced to this beautiful young lady, right? Who would eventually become my wife. And I'm throwing it all the, all away for the alcohol. And I think under that night, it, under the house that night is when I really truly repented because I realized how good God's grace was. All these things that I had done to myself and he bailed me out and spared me. And here I am still struggling with the alcohol because there was parts of me that was unwilling to give it to him. Yeah. And I believe true repentance happened that night because I understood his grace and his love for my life. And that was the last time I ever drank. I've been sober for almost nine years, but it was still a struggle after I first initially broke my back. That is amazing. You mentioned that you were talking to God. So during this time is when you and God were starting to talk more. What led to that happening? I know you mentioned the hospital. So how did you continue to talk to well, God after that? You know, when I got out of the hospital, I had some pretty cool people showing up for me, some Christians, you know, showing up for me. And and so, I, you know, I was hanging out with them. Plus, you know, my buddy's family was, I was taken care of. I mean, I was okay, taken good. care of. There were people showing up for me. They were loving on me. Um, and I was pursuing God. I was reading the Bible for myself. I was going to church. I was hanging out with these Christian brothers. And so I was developing this relationship myself and you know it was touch and go you know because every time it's crazy because in the, that four years after I survived um, that suicide attempt I would put the alcohol to my lips and I just like you would just hear that whisper like don't do it not a good idea right but yeah. for four years I ignored that whisper and so you know God and I definitely had conversations you know and um, and that's how it all really started it, it started because one, he saved my life. And then I struggled with substance abuse for the next four years, right? As he was working some other stuff out inside of me. And then after he delivered me from the alcohol, now that I was sober-minded, I could pursue a, even a deeper relationship with him because I was even more grateful for him uh, delivering me from the drugs and the alcohol. So suicide attempt, drugs and alcohol, boom, delivered, delivered. And, I, and then that's when I really dove deep with him. And I was like, okay, use me mightily in this world whatever you want from me is yours. Just show me what I need to do. And I just started pursuing it. And that was more of my relationship. And, you know, I, I would go to church and stuff and I had my own relationship with church. Um, and we'll share the major event that happened to me in church shortly. Cause that's folks, that's question number seven, question number seven, <laughs> <laughs> your experience with church. But, um, but yeah, you know, at some point, what I realized was that for me, church was a good place to fellowship and it was an extension of who I was, but it wasn't God for me. And my responsibility was to dig deep, spend time in prayer, spend time in the word and really get to know him. And, and that's where my walk has been is more of that independent, that independent, you know, walk with him, because you know, this, there's so many different denominations Yes, and yeah. philosophies behind Christianity. And, exactly. you know, you got all these different groups that have different sets of, like, my responsibility is like, I will listen to everything that they have to say, but does it line up with scripture? And then if I'm really conflicted by it, I got to spend time with God and try to seek that with him. So, yeah, no, I totally understand. And guess where we are? We are at question number seven. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> right. Question number seven. Yeah. All so right. tell me a positive and a negative thing that happened to you at church and how it affected your perception of God. Okay. So the positive thing was that is where I got saved. That's where I got baptized. That's where I met Christian brothers who I'm still very close to. They're my go-to guys 15 years later. You know, there was a, a bond that was created in that church. Um, some great connections. It was, you know, my first you know, you're so young in the faith, you know nothing. So any little bit of anything you get is good, right? Yeah. Um, you can take almost anybody's sermon and, you know, as positive as it, as it is, it's like you can, ah, it's all God. It's all God. It's all God. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and it was very edifying initially in this church, but eventually what happened in church was my first bad experience in this church was 
um, they wanted to share my testimony at Thanksgiving. And so we did this big recording. I gave them these pictures and, you know, it was like this big deal um, to show my testimony at the church. Well, the church had altered the video or created it in such a way that it, it vilified my old friends and made the church itself look like God and make it look uh -huh. like it was the one that saved me. And, and, um, you know, I think this was the really hard part for me because I grew up in Northern California, a very diverse area. Yeah. Um, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, because it just gives me an, a, a different perspective on, on life and people. But what happened was, is that the past that they tried to show was with all my friends that were, that didn't look like me. Right. right. Um, and then what they did is they showed the new me and they only put pictures of people that look like me. Right. And it looked very racist mm -hmm. and it was very heartbreaking because my friends' families were there of those gentlemen that were in the video. Right. Um, and it totally ruined me on the inside. Um, that was the first issue that I had with that church. Yeah. The second issue was the worship pastor after that whole testimony got shown. Um, he was a man of color and he, he came to me and he said, Hey man, I, I get that you have a relationship with, with my people. Right. And, uh, mm -hmm. I can appreciate that. And I respect that a whole awful lot. And, um, he wanted to become really close friends with me. I uh, love my story. He came, he came up to me and weeping and, um, we became friends. So about two years into our relationship, his wife had left him and he asked me to come move in with him. And this is the worship pastor. Yeah. Um, this guy has like three homes. The church is taking care of this guy. Like, I mean, he has an amazing voice like this. I mean, a gift from God. Well, at the time I was still struggling with the alcohol and my very first night there, um, we were drinking and he wanted to wrestle and I was drunk. So I'm like, yeah, let's wrestle. Right. Yeah. Well, he ended up shooting for, uh, sacred area on my body oh. and I kind of shook it off like yo you're drunk not cool yeah. bad move right mm -hmm. well over the next two months while I was living there he was he kept insinuating sexual things to me oh. um yeah well turns out you know he had a um an addiction to porn mm -hmm. and he really liked men um and when I didn't give in to all that, he ended up mm -hmm. kicking me out of his house. Wow. The church knew what he was doing. They knew his struggles with alcohol, the DUIs, all the men that had reported him, and they kept him in the church wow. um, because he brought money into the church. So I have friends that were in a similar situation as I before me, where he had invited them into the home. Wow. And one of my buddies, um, woke up one morning after a night of drinking with him and was naked. And um, he says, man, I don't remember anything. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And he said, when I went to go take it to the church, they kicked me out of the church. They said, we're not going to have that here. So for my he buddy. Was the victim though. That was yeah. the victim. How are you going to yeah. victimize the victim all over again? Well, and that's what happened. And so for me, because of all the, stuff I had already been through with the suicide attempt and all that stuff. And, you know, it didn't impact my relationship with God. It impacted my relationship with the, the church. Yeah. But what it did for my buddy was it ruined his relationship with God. You know, him and I are still mm -hmm. good friends. We talk on the phone. He's, he's walking with the Lord again, but he said for 10 years, I didn't want to have a relationship with God because of that situation, not knowing what happened to me getting violated and all this kind of stuff. And, and so you know, my relationship with a church like that, because I know that maybe not to the extent of what happened to me or my buddy happens to other people, but I know the sexual immorality in the church um, and the sexual abuse does take place and people get ignored or they don't report it. And so that was really my relationship and my experience in the church. Well, that gentleman that worship pastor ended up getting murdered a couple of years ago. 
because he continued his behavior and someone wasn't having it and ended up taking his life. And when I watched the news report on it, because I was like 10 years removed from the situation at that point, it was like a cool decade. Um, the church completely protected that man, made him look like a man of God and a saint. Um, when he was a sexual predator. Yeah, the church, well, you know, the church had to protect its investment. And unfortunately, you know, that I think that's a little bit more common in churches than we're willing to talk about. I you know? agree. I agree. Because I've heard a lot of people who um, have had instances of either church hurt or church abuse and things yeah. that happened. And the people who did these things or said these things to individuals, were allowed to continually go on and the person who reported it or said something they were the people who were like well you know maybe this place isn't for you and they were the people who were victimized yeah. all over again by being disfellowshipped or kicked out or something like that so it's unfortunate that things like this do go on because it does take people away from god and it just changes that whole dynamic with him even though he didn't do anything but just right. the fact that the church is a place where you're supposed to go to feel safe and accepted and loved. And when that doesn't happen, it, it can be devastating. Well, the worst part, the worst part was this worship pastor, one, tried to groom me into a position in his home. Yeah. He tried to groom me to be something right. And mm-hmm. I just didn't bite. Well, the same thing happened with this young man was they were actually trying to groom him. They were actually going to pay for him to go to school to become a youth pastor in that church. So they were grooming him. The church, the church was grooming him. Um, the people around him were grooming him. And he realizes that now because it's yeah. clear as day to him now. But at thought, that time, he just thought they were being kind. And, um, you know, all the stories that were being told to me about leadership in that church coming from the worship pastor, I was just like, at the time, I was like, man, how do you know all this? You yeah. know, all the sexual interactions with the men you know, the men on men stuff with leadership. And I'm thinking to myself, like, how do you know all this stuff? But the reality is, is, you know, years later, it's like, well, that's because he was engaged in all that stuff. And he was trying to feel me out. And he wanted to pull me into that world. Um, Because, you know, they wanted to use guys like me and my buddy, right? They wanted to pull me in and do that stuff. And so, yeah, that was my relationship with the church, you know, Um, you know, now, and, and I don't blame, I mean, Church is full of men. Men are flawed, you know, and, and a lot right. of them are evil and they're full of evil. But, you know, the churches that I'm associated with now are really all about standing up for what's right. Um, I have an amazing pastor that I'm, I work with closely. I'm on his speaking team. He lets me baptize people at his church. Um, and it's a recovery church. I mean, my guy, Dr. E, you know, um, he's a, a degree in psychology, but he's also a pastor. So he can kind of feel people out and navigate where they are. Mm-hmm. And um, he actually has a cross at the altar with a box where you can put your used needles and drugs. And he'll that say, awesome. come on down. No judgment. You put your drugs in there and um, go up to the prayer team. We'll lay hands on you and we'll pray for deliverance and healing in Jesus name. Right. And so, you know, I'm associated with those kind of churches now, you know, I'm all about um, just real people doing real life stuff for the community. You know, that's what it's all about. I don't, I'm not in, like, I think that at this point, my discernment is just off the Richter scale when it comes to walking into a church and seeing if this man is all about building his kingdom or God's right. kingdom. Yeah. And I want to see God's kingdom being built. And so now I, I gravitate toward, you know, people that want to build God's kingdom and not, you know, put gas in their Hummer and live in the biggest house on top of the hill. You know, <laughs> no, I understand. <laughs> at the expense of their congregation while, yeah. while abusing scripture to do it. <laughs> yes, yes. So, that is one of my pet peeves. A huge. <laughs> pet peeve when uh eisegesis right where they start like really creating scripture to fit their agenda yeah Mm -hmm. that's a tough one (laughs) yeah it is it really is so let me ask you a question i know you have a lot of things that you're doing now you're into fitness you're a trainer tell me a little bit about that and tell me more about how you got into this well you know i was a fitness coach um I mean, I fell in love with fitness at a young age. Uh, fitness for me was a avenue for me to not have to deal with my problems. It was that time where I could go in, just bang the weights and 
you know, but it, it developed into a passion for me. Um, so I was the guy that was always leading the troops to the gym to go work out and all that kind of stuff. And eventually, naturally, I became a coach. Um, after I broke my back, I realized that was my only real skill set um, mm -hmm. outside of sharing my testimony. So it was only natural to go back in the health and fitness realm. Yeah. And so I did that. But as I and I was still drinking and using at that time. So as I sobered up, I started to realize it was bigger than the gym for me that I needed to attack addiction and recovery. So I'm also an addiction recovery coach. Uh, I work in that realm, um, work with, uh, you know, mental health facilities, working in recovery. And then I'm also a youth mentor. So I, I work with these young men who have been put through the juvenile system, have been put through foster care system. And so I do that as well. Um, I'm currently working on a book. I have a guy that writes it for me. I'm not going to even take all the credit for that. I just share the story. He does the dirty work. Like, you know, um, yeah. I'm not that cool. I'm not that awesome. Um, but, but I'm doing that. I do a lot of speaking. I go to a lot of churches. I get invited to churches. I've had people, you know, um, bring me out from other cities to their churches to speak and share my testimony and, I've done men's breakfasts and conferences and youth gatherings and all sorts of stuff. So, you know, I'm basically trying to be the guy that I really needed when I was in the midst of my junk. So whether it's health and fitness, recovery, mental health, because here's my reality is that a lot of us, a lot of our behaviors and our addictions really come from childhood issues. Yes. And when yes. we can pinpoint those childhood issues and we can we can detach and eliminate the spirit behind that. You know, for me, I understand that I made certain agreements when I told my story about, you know, I was told I was going to be dead or in prison by the time I was 30. Well, that's an agreement that I made, right? Yeah. I said, oh, I agree to that, right? You know, yeah. somewhere in my soul, I agreed to that. And that's why I committed to that act. When I was told I was going to be a drug addict or alcoholic for the rest of my life, because my family was, it ran, ran in my family. I agreed with that. I said, yeah, yeah. you're right. I'm agreeing with that. And so a lot of my ministry is really to, well, what did we agree with? Because here's the thing, in the midst of our childhood trauma, that was normal for us. For most yeah. of us, we consider that normal. So how do we break free from that? Understand that a lot of this stuff that happened to us wasn't okay. The people that did it to us were probably victims themselves. Mm -hmm. And how do we forgive them so that we can heal? Hopefully we can be an example for them so they can heal. Right. And that we can start removing all these um, nasty demons that are just stuck to us because we've allowed them to stick around. And a lot of times we don't even know it. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, here's the thing. I was molested when I was a little boy, too. And the imagine imagine what that does to a young man. Right. And then growing up, my dad used to always call me derogatory terms because I wore earrings and baggy pants and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. And so you know, here I spent my life proving that's not what I was, right? Yeah. But those were the spirits I was attached to. So I would go out and seek and look for approval. And, you know, and I was trying, it was all empty. It was all pointless. But I agreed with a lot of these things. Or I said, you know, I got to fight against that. Well, the reality is that's not what you are, right. right? And getting people to understand that's not what you are. That's not what God has called you to be, you know, um, you know, one of the biggest struggles I have now is, you know, I have friends that are part of groups that, you know, even after 10 years of sobriety will say, I'm an addict or an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Well, this is why I have an issue with that, especially as a believer. Well, you're finding an identity in something. You're mm -hmm. identifying in that. And for me, I refuse to identify in that because to me, that is bondage, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's not what you are. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. You are a new creation in Christ, right? So he has delivered and healed me. Um, the shedding of his blood and those stripes that he took has freed me from all those things. I can break those deep spiritual roots and, and generational curses and bondages and all that kind of stuff because of what he did on the cross. And so I will not stay attached to those titles, but a lot of us like, oh, I'm so ADD or I'm so dyslexic or I'm so dumb or I can't catch on to this or I'll never be able to do that. I'll never like, here's the thing. You're attaching yourself in a particular identity or a particular lie that is not true because God has not called you to be that. 
right? And so it's just trying to help people find freedom and healing in themselves. And of course, it always points to the cross, right? Yeah. But, you know, but being in mental health, that isn't the opportunity you always have. Eventually, you can lead them. When you're sitting on a stage in front of believers, you know, you can just straight jump into the gospel like that. Um, you know, every, you know, Paul said, be all things to all people. Right. And so sometimes I have to walk into a a realm and speak a particular language. You know, Mm -hmm. when I work with the youth, I speak the language of the youth, how I spoke as youth. Right. You know, when you're in church, you speak a certain way and depending on who you're around. And, and, and to me, that's almost like speaking different languages. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what, you know, I believe Paul was talking about. You have to speak their language so that they can understand so that they can be drawn in. And, and they can see the transformation that happened to you and, and hopefully they will receive that so they can have the same transformation. Yeah, it's like, what you're doing is just developing a rapport with people so that they can trust you and they can connect with you. And I think that's what you have to do. I think sometimes we get it confused and mixed up when we think you go in head first, trying to drag people to God, like this, yeah. this, that, and the other, oh, yeah. instead of having a relationship with them. Because right. relationships go a long way. So if someone, if you meet someone where they're at and meet them at their needs, then they're going to be more inclined to listen to what you have to say because they want to know that you care about them. And then they can understand how God cares about them and loves them. So I love that you said that because it is true. This is how you should and how you kind of have to go about doing things. You can't just force people or hijack people to God. <laughs> Yeah, I think when I first came to the faith, I so tried to do that. I went fire and brimstone and just so zealous and just, we got to bring everyone to Jesus. Let's do it, right? Like, yeah, yeah, bro. Like, I mean, I'm sure he appreciated my heart at the time. Uh It could have done a little bit more damage than good at times, right? And and so I think as we get older and we continue to walk, you know, you just kind of see things a little bit different. And ultimately, like, it's not my job to save, right? If I can plant a seed you know, I'm going to plant a seed. If I can give somebody hope, you know, they're going to know where that hope comes from at some point, right? And so, yeah. you know, anyone that thoroughly seeks me out is going to know exactly what I do and who I serve, right? But I want to meet people where they're at. That's what I want to do. I want to meet, and I don't, I don't want to force anything down their throat. I just don't want to do it. Doesn't help no. anybody. <laughs> no, it actually doesn't. I totally understand, though, because I used to do the same <laughs> thing. Then, you know, one thing about it. I'm like, Kiana, God never forced you to love him. So why are you trying to force somebody else to yeah. accept him? Like, it's okay. Calm right. down a little bit. So yeah, you I know who that. does that? Religious people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's that is true. That's religion, right? Yeah. Religion, a really, religion kind of separates the relationship out of all of it, right? And it and it's all about relationship and i think that right now we live in such touching times with everything that's going on in our world and all the the fear that's being created and the confusion you know it's like you have to be extra special careful with people because everyone's got their defenses up right now people are hurting and they're scared and they're confused and you know it's a tough tough time to be living with all this technology and information and you know, most of it's untrue, but, you know, people, people believe it, right, mm-hmm. and, and so um, I think you have to be very um, tactful when trying to approach, you know, that relationship. I agree, I agree. So tell me, what advice would you give someone who's looking for God? How would you tell them to go about, what advice could you give them if they're seeking him? What would you tell them to do? Well, first of all, understand that it's a personal relationship. You know, this is something between you and him. And, you know, you're going to learn something today that may change down the road. You're going to have to have grace for that, right? Um, But try to put yourself around people that that walk with God. You know, pick up up the word, read the Bible, um, pray, you know, try to hang out with those that that are seeking him as well. You know, there's going to be a lot to, to... to learn and a lot to be desired and all that stuff. Just know that it takes time. And the biggest thing is like people, people are going to fail you. They're going to disappoint you. They're going to hurt you, but don't equate that to God, right? You're going to have very godly people that seem to be really walking the walk that are just going to possibly, you know, hammer you. They're going to hurt you to the fullest. 
but that's not God. That's not God. I mean, that, that was never Christ's approach to anything. And so just know that you have to know people are going to be people. And the more that you seek this out, people are going to give you their version of God. You know, the enemy is going to come in. You're going to listen to some um, stuff in your own head. You know, there's going to be a lot going on. There really will. Um, but don't give up. I think it's like anything in life, you know, uh, you know, when we're kids, I, I have two little kids. And when you, when you start to watch them walk, like they crawl, they fall, they bump into mm -hmm. things. But here's the thing. They eventually figure it out. They never give up, right? Now my kid's running around, throwing baseballs, kicking footballs, right? Doing backflips off the couch. Oh, wow. But it's because it's because that no matter how many times they fell, they got up and kept pursuing it. So if you can have that childlike heart when pursuing God, like never get rid of that. Be mindful of having that childlikeness um, when pursuing him. I love that. And it kind of reminds me how in the Bible, Jesus was like, you have to be like a child when you come to him. And when you said yes. like that childlike heart, it makes a lot of sense. You just have to keep doing that. I love that. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being on the Finding God podcast. I enjoyed having you as a guest. Thank you so much, Kim. It was an absolute pleasure. You're amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. What an amazing interview. My favorite part of the interview is where Rob talks about how he doesn't like to identify as an addict or what he used to be because God has come into his life and God has made him new. And I love that concept and I love that way of thinking because it's true. So many times in our own lives, God has delivered us from something, and yet we still identify ourselves by what we used to be and not what God sees us and not what we are right now. So I want us to remember that whatever you were in the past, you're not that anymore. God has saved you. God has delivered you. So we are what God wants us to be. We are becoming more and more what he wants us to be. So we need to claim that and accept that and let go of what we used to be and hang on to what God had in store for us. Now, the song we're going to listen to today is called Chains, and it's by our Artist of the Week, Josh Snyder. I love the song because it talks about how he used to be held and entrapped in chains because of the things he used to do and his old lifestyle, but how God has freed him and he is no longer living that lifestyle, and how God has freed us so that we no longer have to live the way that we used to live. Here is the song, Chains by Josh Snyder.
Reigns. Before I end the podcast this week, I would like to thank you guys for hanging out with me each Friday. I truly enjoy spending time with you and finding out how other people find God. Now, if you like the podcast as much as I love hanging out with you guys, I encourage you to please share the podcast with a friend and make sure you subscribe so that you can get all of the up-to-date episodes of Finding God. If you would like to contact me, Josh, or Rob, all of our contact information can be found in the show notes, and all you have to do is click on the links for each person. It should say, um, join me on social media, and just click on the link for Rob, click on the link for Josh, or click on the link for me. If you would like to be a guest on the Finding God podcast, send your name and your email address to me to the email address listed in the show notes and I will get in contact with you so that we can schedule a time to talk and schedule a time to interview you for the show. If you have any music that you would like to submit, you can send me all of your submissions to the email address listed below in the show notes and make sure that when you send it to me, you have it in an MP3 format. All right, well guys, I think that is all. Have an amazing day. Enjoy your weekend and I'll talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. I'm winning. Can't tell me I'm not. Yeah, yeah.